0: that that
1: that 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 that
0: that And welcome to another edition of Dropping that Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. and I'm AJ. And welcome to another week here in 2020. I uh, hope you guys are staying home, staying safe, just like we are. Like we have a choice. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like I said, we hope everybody's healthy and safe. I think uh, I'm think most of the shit is like going down because like I think just more people are just kind of sort of like transitioning more in a regular life. Cause I'm seeing a lot more people like at the beach and shit like that. So like hopefully this will be over pretty soon.
1: The one thing I keep seeing is, uh, you know, the, the, the good thing is that the death rate's not getting super crazy high. It's, it's kind of stabilized. ICUs aren't too bad. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I mean, look, not, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. We don't know what the hell we're talking about. We're just being hopeful.
0: <laughs> yeah, literally. there's literally
1: all we do is just being hopeful here. Uh, but like I said, folks, uh, go ahead. As I said, I'd love to get back to actually being in the same place with you instead of this, uh, you know, weird – freaking zoom thing we
0: keep doing yeah likewise kid i really i really do uh I, yeah we need to get back to watch alongs which is really you know that's the most fun of this whole get back because we're together we get to interact and we actually fucking you know watch the movies and shit so i'm like okay like let's, we should get back to watch alongs but like we'll see once that's safe you know
1: yeah, well, and there's a, there's a great visual component, too, for the, for the fans, because they get to watch along. You know, they can start watching it. And then uh, we have our own little Mystery Science Theater 3000 moment where we uh, <laughs> yammer back and forth about it and have some fun. So,
0: Yeah, like the Monarch Theater. Exactly. <laughs> and all the paper that's in the league.
1: Yeah, there is paper in the streets of L.A.
0: <laughs> a lot of paper. <laughs>
1: So, it's uh-huh. the art department, but I just wanted you to know it didn't go unnoticed. We, uh, we appreciate it. Apparently, LA yeah. no paper. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, but let's go ahead and actually, you know what? This, we haven't
0: done this in a while. Let's go ahead and talk about some of our sponsors now. I'm going to go ahead and start off with uh, Belsaverse. Uh, again, uh, you guys can go to teespring.com, go to the Belsaverse store, sell some Belsaverse merch, their shirts, hoodies uh different sizes male and female Get yourself some merch get yourself a you know little talk little talk to little talking point etc you know uh help support the show uh, also uh if you can go to belsoverse on uh facebook the belsoverse group and the belsoverse page and also go to the belsoverse page on instagram all on, uh, of them uh belsoverse b-l S-E-R-B-E-R-S-E. Yep, that's still first uh, Yeah, Belsaverse. So go on there and uh, you know subscribe, check it out. You know, and also don't forget to subscribe to the Dropping That Culture YouTube page. We drop all of our podcasts also on our YouTube page. You can check those out. You know, and uh, AJ, I'm pretty sure you got a sponsor you want to talk about. Yeah,
1: uh, USHooker.com. You like rugby? Do you know anything about rugby? Do you want to learn about rugby? USHooker.com is the place for you. There's videos, uh, there's information on there, frequently asked questions. If you want to learn this killer sport, that's the best place to start. Uh, you're going to basically learn right along with uh, with me and kind of how I learned the sport growing up. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, support what we're doing, support the sport in general, get some cool shirts, some hoodie, hoodies, um, coffee mugs, We've got all kinds of fun little things there. But the most important thing is we're promoting awesome sport of rugby to, uh, well, all of our fellow Americans and North Americans here and people around the world, because it really is fantastic. I've said it a hundred times. I'm going to keep saying it again. I loved boxing growing up, but then I found MMA and my world changed. The same thing happened for me when I went from football to rugby. I grew up playing football, watching football, loved football. But when I was finally introduced to rugby, uh, it absolutely blew my mind and and changed my world. I still watch football, but rugby is just a whole nother level. And finally, Finally, here in the U.S., we have Major League Rugby. Uh, It's a killer sport. Um, We've got great teams. They pop up with new teams all the time. Even in the middle of this crazy coronavirus pandemic, we still have teams. They did the first college draft this summer. Fantastic. Um, You know what? Learn the sport now. That way, when it comes live again next season, early next year, you'll be ready to jump into it and start rooting for your local team.
0: What's up, man? Yeah all right so aj what you got for me today
1: well i'm gonna go with a name that everybody probably knows in the free world at this point um but you might not be able to pick uh up on all the movies uh, that this actress has been in so we're going to see how well you do megan markle Hmm. <laughs> British Royal Family.
0: <laughs> Good choice, dude. Meghan Markle. What has she been
1: in? I know she's been in a... She's done a bunch of shows, but she's also been in some movies. I double checked this before I put it on it because I didn't want to hit you with a TV star.
0: Okay. Meghan Markle
1: is in movies. I'm trying to find give you. Here. Um I can
0: give you one. Yeah, give yeah, yeah, give me one. All
1: right. Horrible bosses.
0: Boom, shit, boom, there you go, that's all I needed Okay, cool, so Meghan Markle was in Horrible Bosses with Jamie Foxx, Jamie Foxx was in Dreamgirls, Lady Mercury
1: I told you to get there pretty quick if I needed
0: that yeah, one Yeah, yeah, once you give into to one uh, Yeah, because I'm like, fucking like, like How many fucking movies is Meghan Markle?
1: <laughs> she's been in about a dozen or so um, But I mean, she ha- from what I recall I don't recall seeing her as um, as, as, the lead, she's always supporting cast and Again, yeah. I don't think it's her as an actress Just That's, that's what, I've, what I've seen That I know um all right, going for a slightly deeper dive. Uh, Ron, okay. Lester. Okay. Ron Lester.
0: Ron Lester.
1: Mm-hmm. Ron Lester know? Yeah, I've never even heard of this person. You've heard of him using varsity Blues. Ron Lester. Yeah. Famous uh, writer, actor. Well, I actually don't know if he was writer. I know he's a director and actor, but yeah, from *Varsity Blues*. Varsity. Lester. What the fuck? He. Uh, let me double check. I want to make sure I say the right, right character. Yeah, right. I've
0: never heard
1: of this person. He was. He was. Shoot. Where to go? Uh, he was Billy Bob. Oh, the fat kid. Oh, oh, okay. oh, oh wait, wait, wait. And actually, in, I think it's, we have to say this, you know, he's passed away. Uh, he was a fat kid when he was Billy Bob. He wasn't the fat kid forever because the dude lost a ton of weight.
0: Oh, I thought you, okay. Ron Lister. I thought you said, oh, uh, yeah, I thought you said, Ron Lister. I'm like, what the, who the fuck is Ron Lister? But yeah, now I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, he. Ron, Ron, yeah. Ron with an N, R O N. Yeah, Ron. Like Ron Swanson. Ron. Okay. all right. I, I, okay, I got it now. I got it now. Okay, cool. Alright, so Ron Lester, Billy Bob, was also in Not Another Teen Movie with Chris Evans. Chris Evans was in Captain America The Winter Soldier with Sam Jackson. Sam
1: Jackson wasn't coming to America anymore. Alright, not bad. I'm I'm going with these deeper dive names because I'm trying to. See yeah, I, I see I see
0: that now. Yeah, you, you fucker, you're trying to get me.
1: I, I, I see you. Well, I keep helping you out by giving you big enough blockbusters these guys were in that you're like, oh, that's fine, I can get there.
0: Yeah, once you give yeah once you give me like the if you get if I, if I ask for a prompt you give me the prompt once I get that name like sh- I got it.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna say it as a caveat for this next one before we go there. If you can't get this guy without me helping, I'm going to be disappointed in your television watching skills because while this person has done feature films, they're a major television star and have been for a long time. Okay. Okay. Richard Belzer. Uh, okay. Oh, uh, trying to think of uh, Yeah, yeah, Richard Belzer. Yeah, okay. I'm trying to think of a little
0: movie she's doing in about Richard Belzer. Well can you? I know, from, I know from yeah, because he's done like uh he's done like a bunch of different like uh TV shows. I know that because you know SVU of course, and then uh, okay, I'm I'm not
1: gonna I'm not gonna hammer you too hard since you got him in SVU. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah I know yeah SVU yeah but I'm trying to think of movies and stuff he's been in because he 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 did a lot of like uh he did a lot of DC shows too like uh he was on Superman he was on uh, what's that shit uh fucking. He's on Superman. He was on The Flash. He did a bunch of shit like that. But I'm trying to think of the movies. Ah, found one. Okay. He, uh, Richard Belzer, was in. There we go. Yeah. Um, Richard Belzer was in Scarface uh, with Robert. No, no, with Al Pacino. Al Pacino was in The Irishman with Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro was in Showtime
1: with Eddie Murphy. Oh. See, what I was going to give you prompt was Man on the Moon because I figured that would be more difficult. Or I could have even hit you with Species 2 because he was in Species
0: Yeah, but like, so, uh, I saw Scarface I was like, yeah, go cool Scarface.
1: <laughs> as soon as I saw Scarface, I was like, if he figures out that's what it's frozen. Yeah,
0: Scarface, yeah. I was like, Scarface, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. cool. So it was that, uh, Ron Lester, uh, Meghan Markle, and Richard Belzer. Okay. Alright. All right, and that was uh, Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy. I <laughs> <laughs> was good though, man. You actually got me with a couple of them there. Okay, but uh let's go ahead and go into an- another one of our favorite segments here. Hey, this is Gary Busey talking to Gary Busey. What time is it, Gary? It's time for WWBS. What would Busey say? What we're talking about today, Gary?
1: All right, so this week for Gary Busey, I'm very interested in what he knows about, what he's experienced with regard to uh, an often quietly whispered um, phenomenon that supposedly exists, uh, the lizard people. And in fact, is there any way he knows or knows anything about the lizard king? The reptiles?
0: Oh boy, the lizard people. You really put me down memory lane here, man, with the lizard people. Now, for most people, the lizard people don't exist, okay? The lizard people, you know, they think they're fictional characters, like in that, like in that miniseries V back in the day, where you know they're like nice people, they want you to you know, join the earth and all that good shit. But then they come, find out you script there, their faces off, and there's like lizard eyes underneath. And then one chick actually got pregnant by one of them; she had a lizard baby, shit like that. So a lot of people think that the lizard people is just bullshit. It's, uh, you know, the Illuminati. Well, I'll let you know something right now, folks. Uh, You know, most of the people that run Hollywood, yeah, they're the lizard people. Uh, I've dealt with the lizard people for, well, over 40 years now. Uh, They can be cantankerous folk, uh, particularly when it comes to, uh, you know, doing stuff uh, on film that they don't agree with. Like, most of the producers, they usually ruin your favorite cut of a movie. Like, a... It was written a certain way, but then the producer came in and did all kinds of other bullshit. Those are usually the loser people. You know? They they usually ruin those movies for a reason. Okay. They usually ruin it because the fact it's almost like they live, you know, they have different uh different messages, different subliminal messaging that they put inside different scenes to make you do things you really don't want to do. Like, hey, say uh say you're watching Justice League, okay? The Zach, you know, everybody's cankering for the Zack Snyder cut. There's a reason for that. Because the fact that you know, the theatrical cut that came out that was directed by Josh Whedon, it's filled with subliminal messages. It's like, you know, different stuff. Like, hey, watch this movie again, even though it's crap. Hey, talk about this movie, even though it's crap. Or, hey, you gotta tweet about this movie all day, even though it's crap. That's why people want the Snyder cut so much, because they know it's free of subliminal messaging. They want the real deal. That's why they have all these ultimate editions and remastered cuts of all these different movies. Because the fact they know the lizard people are tampered with the theatrical release. I have something to say about the lizard people. Personally speaking, I have had sex with a lizard person. Okay, now normally, normally I would be more. More vindictive towards lizard people, but I have had sexual relations with one, I'm gonna tell you something. They use their tongue in mysterious ways, man. i tell you. Changed my life. Really changed it. So the lizard people have their ups and downs, but you know, I still love my lizard bitch. Gotta love you, lizard bitch. Dark blood. Yeah, that was great, Gary. How you doing today, Gary? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm Gary Busey.
1: I'm doing great. How's that? Psychedelic. Disturbing as always. <laughs> gotta love your lizard, bitch.
0: Apparently, I swear, every time we do the Gary Busey show, I was cool with like a good line. Like, that's our line for the week. Dude. You gotta love your lizard, bitch.
1: Yeah, <laughs> There's always something disturbing and entertaining about a, a, a
0: down of Mr. Gary Busey. Yes, sir. <laughs> Still my favorite line that I've done so far with Busey is uh, there's a fine line between sexual assault and scientific curiosity. I think that's my favorite line
1: I've
0: done. So <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Okay. All right, so that was Gary Busey for this week. Uh, And now let's go ahead and go into another favorite. Good evening, I'm Roger Moore. You may remember me from my time as Bond, James Bond. And I once exchanged bodily fluids with Louis Jardin. This is not so much a commentary as it was, more of a one sided conversation, as I cannot talk to you and you cannot talk to me. And now for another edition of Roger Reads Rap. What is our selection for this evening? Good afternoon, this is Roger Moore. Today's election comes from Dr. Dre, formerly of South Central California. Now he's believed to be a billionaire with a wealth and access of $1 billion, I believe. Something along those lines. But in his earlier days, he was quite a scallion So today's election comes from one of his earlier cuts, and it is entitled, Fuck You, first stanza. I just want to fuck bad bitches. All those nights I never had bitches. I'm all up in that ass, bitches. Manage your boyfriend, ain't you? This is a bad girl, gotta spank you. And gotta thank you for that head clinic. Explicit, hella photogenic. And tell your friends where the dick's set, where they can get hit and won't get back to their soulmate. Before you kiss and use Colgate. She swallowed it. Yes, the bitch took the whole eight. And man with it, and that mailman hit it. And hitmen hit it. Damn bitches. And this is what I'm talking about. Chicken head, chicken fed, with a dick in your mouth. I'm about with your, I can't say this word. Uh, Inward, like it uh, never took place. Air touch, next time you need a taste. I just want to fuck you. No not touching and rubbin', girl, you got a husband who loves you. Don't need you all in mind. I just want to fuck you. You can't be kissing and hugging, girl, you've got a husband who loves you. You need to give him your quality time.
1: Thank you. <laughs> How's that? That might be your best Roger yet.
0: <laughs>
1: I love that. I love that. Dude, that was great delivery.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, let's, all right now let's get into the informative segment of the show. <laughs> da-na-na, da-na-na. Dropping
1: that news.
0: All right, folks, and I hate really hate to keep doing this, but that's really what's going on right now. But we got some more uh, RIPS uh, in the entertainment world. Most notably, Wilford Brimley uh, just passed away. Uh, most of them, most people know him as you know the spokesman from the diabetes commercial, uh, diabetes. That shit. Yeah. And wasn't he also the Quaker Oats guy?
1: Yeah, for a minute. Um... You know actually, you know where I know him from, where I knew him from first? Yeah. He's actually the firm.
0: The firm, the movie?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. He is in the firm. He plays yeah. an in-house security guy. Yeah, that's right. He is in the firm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's something. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh but me
0: personally, I know him best from the thing. Mm. Yeah, John Carpenter's the thing, where he's the doctor that goes nuts.
1: I mean, he, he had an extremely long and very, very fruitful career as a character actor. I think that's, you know, it's really kind of the sad thing is that very seldom do character actors um, get the, the credit they deserve, right? Because I think, like, the way, I think maybe it's, just, maybe it's cultural, maybe it's part of the way stuff's just structured. But, you know, the leading man, leading woman... Uh, they always tend to get the, the most the most praise. And then when one of them does a character actor thing, like Jamie Foxx becoming Ray Charles or something, then they get all this additional uh, praise and admiration. But, I mean, uh, Wilford Brimley, um you just look at the body of work. I mean, he was a killer character actor. There was all kinds of interesting um, characters and, and stories that he told. So it really is a loss.
0: Yeah, so it was that. And uh, like I, said, I, was, I knew known from The Thing and also Cocoon, the Cocoon movie. Yeah. Well, like, you know, him and Don Amici and Jessica Tanny and all them, like, all the old people. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, it was, but yeah, he was a great actor, man, and, like I say, he would be missed. Yeah, next up, actually, that's really the only RIP of this week, but, uh, next up, uh, we actually didn't discuss this last time, the uh, 2020 Emmy nominations uh, went out uh, on the 28th of July. Mm. And, uh, One thing they're really reporting on right now is there is a large number of black nominees this year, larger than normal, actually. Uh, But also more than what a lot of people are uh, reporting on is some surprises in terms of what got nominated for what category and what didn't. Two big surprises, which I was actually ecstatic about, in terms of uh, the nominations for best drama series, The Mandalorian and Stranger Things, both nominated for best drama. I was like, okay. It's different.
1: I'm feeling that. Normally, normally, it's weird. A lot of times in uh, in Hollywood, they, they kind of have, um, for lack of a better word, it's almost like there's a, a, a kind of a snob thing that goes on. And so anything that plays in the sci-fi world, they treat as this weird, distinct thing, and they don't like to give it the, the credit of being dramatic when it is dramatic. But, I mean, like we talked about before, Mandalorian, it's a great space question. Uh, yeah. Things. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of Sci-fi elements that are built into it, but it really is—it's it's a great little dramatic uh, ensemble piece that you got going on. So yeah, it's it's really great that they uh, they finally got a little bit of a wink and a nod from everybody on this one.
0: All right, and a couple of other nominees for best drama: Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, Ozark, and Succession. Those are the other nominees for best uh, comedy series for best drama, excuse me, awesome. for best Com- yeah yeah for best comedy series. Uh, Kirby Enthusiasm, Dead to Me on Netflix, The Good Place, uh, uh, HBO's Insecure, The Kaminsky Method, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Shits Creek, and this is a good surprise, What We Do in the Shadows, because I just got on this show. Yeah,
1: actually, they, uh, that, that was the only one, um, did you, you see all the, the feature film they did, right? The what? Feature film for What We Do in the yeah me. that's what got me yeah
0: because uh one of our friends naomi is a big fan of that movie and she was showing it in the shop and i was like okay this is pretty funny so yeah, yeah.
1: I think she's the one you
0: know of- i saw they were doing the netflix the the uh, fx show i was
1: like okay i'll check it out yeah i actually I talked to the guys that did the uh, uh the art department my my last job um i worked with them to, to help them do storage and stuff really really cool guys the concept is uh is fantastic they ran with and they kept a lot of the for people who don't know, it's it's a, a feature film mm-hmm. of Shot Down New Zealand, and the idea is it's sort of like The Office, you know, in terms of like one of those they break the fourth wall docu-series looking kinds of things. Uh, but what it's, it's
0: vampire, it's all about vampires.
1: The three vampires that are roommates, and then they've got like a, uh, a fourth guy who's, you know, a, a hanger on who's wanting to be turned, and so he's like their intern essentially trying to get them to finally let him become a vampire. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's really interesting. And I was asking before, I, I think it might have cut out, but do you, have you watched Better Call Saul? Just going back to drama for a second.
0: Uh, you know, we've, I think we've had this conversation before. I've never even watched Breaking Bad, to be honest with you. More or, less, more or less Better Call Saul. So, no, I've never watched Better Call Saul.
1: So, here's what I was going to say. Breaking Bad's great. For me, it took, uh, like, one or two episodes, and then I was, I was hopelessly hooked. And I had to watch through the whole thing. But what's interesting with Better Call Saul and with um, – Bob Oderkirk and, and how he, he does his character and everything. From a dramatic standpoint, it's a very interesting, very flawed anti-hero that you're following in his character. And I mean, everybody, the supporting cast, the writing on it, it's one of those, it's one of those ones. I know we talked about it briefly in the spinoffs. Um, one of those spinoffs, I think, um, is at least as strong as the original without having to spend a, a ton of time and energy. Uh, relying on the original right so there's once in a while you get you see a character that you recognize from the from the Breaking Bad series you know there's somebody else who was a uh, who might have had a a guest starring role here or there and they might make an appearance in the background somehow but as a standalone show um, it's fantastic so I, I wish them all the, all the best I think um, I mean obviously I, I'm I'm I think I've told you before, I'm not up to speed on on Ozark. I heard good stuff, so I need to probably catch up on that.
0: Yeah, so am I. Me neither, neither, but yeah, i have heard good things about Ozark, too.
1: Yeah. Now, speaking
0: of – yeah, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, it's just it's a good time for dramatic television. There's a lot of good series to binge, so. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, real.
0: All right, so uh, going into – since we talked about Ozark, going into lead actor for a drama series, Jason Bateman for Ozark, Sterling K. Brown for This Is Us. Steve Carell for the Morning Show, Brian Cox for Succession, Billy Porter for Pose, and uh, Jeremy Strong for Succession. Uh, now, like I said, we talked about Ozark. I, like I said, Sterling K. Brown is the one that I know of the group has won this before. I think a couple times before. And but the one really the the dark horse that a lot of people are rooting for is uh Billy Porter for Pose. Uh... uh Oh, I guess because the fact you know, like it's a real, you know, LGBT strong type show or whatever, and I guess they want a, a good victory in that in that sense. Uh, I've never seen the show; I can't really tell you much about it. Um, but I, if I had to pick, I pick them. Uh, I would go with either Jason Bateman or Billy Porter for the uh, for the for the Emmy. Well, I mean, it's
1: gonna really, be uh, it's gonna be interesting for sure to see which way um, which way this one ends up going because it's it's definitely. It's definitely a strong field. Um, one of the interesting things I saw, on a business standpoint for a second, they were breaking down the Emmy nominations um, by streaming service and how much they paid for for each nomination, essentially in terms of production costs, marketing, all the rest. And which yeah. HBO, as per usual, um, is one of the top uh, most nominated networks in terms of the number of shows that have nominations, um, and they spent, if I remember and I, I might be off a little bit, but they spent somewhere on the order of about a third as much as Amazon did per Emmy nomination. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was an interesting stair step, but HBO spent the least, Netflix was like pretty much dead center, and then Amazon spent the most to get those Emmy nods. And I think it's kind of worth pointing out that um, you know as much money and new money as you've got with people coming in and trying to figure out how to make stuff work in the, uh, in the film world uh, the key, whether you're talking about nomination or not, the key keep making the best okay. Yeah, okay. On the story time. Always story time. Yeah.
0: Uh, now, moving on to uh, Best Lead Actress, uh, real quick. Um, Jennifer Aniston, The Morning Show. Olivia Coleman The Crown. Uh, Judy Comer. Uh, Comer or Comer? Uh, Killing Eve, Laura Lenny, Ozark, Sandra Oh, Killing Eve, and the newcomer Zendaya for Euphoria. Uh, a lot of people are really rooting for Zendaya because it's her first nomination, and she's kind of been like on the rise lately in terms of acting because of fact, you know her role in the Spider-Man movies, the uh, MCU Spider-Man movies, and of course she's a Disney kid. So yeah, they, a lot of people are rooting for Zendaya.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, going into the next category, lead uh, actor in comedy series: uh, Anthony Anderson, Blackish; Don Cheadle, Black Monday; Ted Danson, The best, The Good Place, excuse me; uh, Michael Douglas, The Kaminsky, the Kaminsky Method; uh, Eugene Levy, Shit's Creek, and Rami Yusuf, Rami. Uh, personally speaking, I'm rooting for Eugene Levy because I like I like I've seen a couple of clips of Shit's Creek and I, I I like the show. So.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, nothing against Don Cheadle or or anybody for that matter, but Eugene Levy's just freaking hilarious.
0: Yes, he is. Yeah, and I remember. I remember. I think it was uh, Michael Douglas that won this last year. So
1: Michael Douglas won last
0: year. Yeah, he won for the Kaminsky method. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he might be the favorite here, but we'll see. Uh, best lead actress in the comedy series, Christina Applegate, Dead to Me. Uh, Rachel Br- Br- Bros- Brosnahan, I believe that's how you pronounce it. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, Linda Cardellini, Dead to Me. Katherine O'Hara, Shits Creek. Issa Rae, uh, Insecure. And Tracy Ellis Ross for Blackish. Uh, my favorite of that group will probably be, again, going back to Shits Creek, Katherine O'Hara. It's another one of those great SCTV people just like Eugene Levy. So. Hmm. And I did Issa Rae too. I actually because uh, I met her briefly when I did Insecure. Uh she was very nice, very very quickly. And Tracy Adams Ross has been a strong uh contender in this for years and years and years. I you know what I was I would like for the uh ones that kind of been in it for a win. I just I would like those one of those people to just kind of get it. Just kind of like, so, when they get it, it's like, okay, cool, I got it, whatever, you know. And then, like, when newer people come on, then you can, you know, then they can come and have their turn and kind of shit. You know i saying. So, uh, but yeah, Catherine O'Hara or Tracy Ellis Ross, those are the some for. Uh Now, the rest, of yeah,
1: go ahead. So at a certain point, you almost wonder if it would be uh, be better if it was like, almost like a like a lifetime achievement sort of thing. Like when you get inducted into the the uh, Radio Hall of Fame. It's like a one and done. It's like, okay, well, you got it this year. It'd be kind of nice in some respect if it was like, okay, you've already achieved like essentially – because in television, an Emmy's the pinnacle, right? You're the best of the best. It'd be kind of nice, you know, if there was a sort of like a, a, a cap to how much you could get it so there's a chance for some other folks. Because, uh, you know, I mean, if you're trying to EGOS, <laughs> for example, it gets, uh, makes it that much tougher for them. All right. So for these next couple categories, I'm just
0: going to read off the people and themselves because we get, uh, we got a lot more stuff to talk about so i'm just gonna read them off kind of give off my favorite and then we'll just go on from there uh best lead actor in the limited series jeremy irons watchman q jackman bad education uh paul meskel normal people jeremy pope hollywood mark ruffalo uh you know this much is true uh best lead actress this is where the most of the black most black female nominations are in it uh kate blanchett miss america shira hess uh, unorthodox Regina king watchman Octavia Spencer, self-made. Uh, Kerry Washington, Little Fires Everywhere. Now, Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series: uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who we talked about last week for Better Call Saul. <coughs> uh, Bradley Cooper, Handmaid's Tale. Billy Crudup, The Morning Show. Uh, Mark Duplass, The Morning Show. Uh, Nicholas Braun, Succession. Kieran Culkin, Succession. Matthew uh, McFadden, Succession. And Jeremy uh, Jeffrey Wright, excuse me, uh, Westworld. Best Supporting Actress in the Drama Series, Laura Dern, uh, Big Little Lies, Meryl Streep, Big Little Lies, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, The Crown, Samara Wiley, uh, The Handmaid's Tale, Fiona Shaw, *Killing Eve, Julia Garner, Ozark, uh, Sarah, uh, Secession, and Thaddee Newton, uh, Westworld. Okay. Uh, best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series, Andre Bauer, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, William Jackson Harper, The Good Place, Alan Arkin, The Kaminsky Method. I believe he won last time. Um, Sterling K. Brown, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, I didn't know he was on there. Tony Shalhoub, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He's won this before. Uh, Mahershala Ali, Rami. And Keenan Thompson, Saturday Night Live. Uh, and, oh, yeah, and also uh, Dan Levy, uh, Shits Creek. Best Supporting Actress, uh, Betty uh, Gilpin, Glow. Uh, Darcy Cardin, The Good Place. Yvonne Orji. Uh, I don't believe I pronounced pronounce her last name, uh, Insecure. Alex Borstein, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, she's won this before. Uh, Maren Hinkle, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, Kate McKinnon, SNL, she's won this before a couple times. Cicely Strong, also SNL. And uh, Annie Miller, Shits Creek. And there's a bunch of other categories and a bunch of other nominees but we got too much shit to talk about so. Uh, but yeah so congratulations to all the different nominees and you know what I'm saying. We'll see the, uh, I believe the the actual ceremony itself will be the first time to do a full digital uh, Emmys. So yeah, I think it's going to be in a few weeks and yeah, it'll be all digital.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can to that slightly because I've done uh, done the Emmy red carpet a uh, couple of times the last couple of years on the logistics side of stuff. Um, and I mean, it's normally, I mean, people people maybe they kind of get it, they don't get it. So when it comes to the Emmys, You've got local all the way up to prime time. which you're talking about some primetime Emmys. Um, so there's stuff going on year round uh, around those different awards, that kind of thing. But when it comes to the uh, to the primetime Emmys, it's a massive undertaking, usually done over um, at LA Live. Um, they'll take over, inspection of the Staples Center or, or part of, uh, well, actually they always have stuff going on inside of the, uh, how was it the Ritz Carlton over there? Uh, the J, was it JW Marriott, I believe? If I remember correctly. That's the side of the building. So it's now normally a massive undertaking. They've got these giant six, eight foot tall Emmys they put everywhere, and so it's gonna be, it's gonna be a weird one. But then again, everything this year is right. So should be should be interesting to see everybody doing their zoom in to do an acceptance speech.
0: <laughs> Actually, I saw a note that said like they uh wanted they wanted to encourage people to dress up, but you know you're you're, you're at your house, so if you don't
1: want to, you don't have to. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, Tuxedo T-shirt. I see this year.
0: Yeah, like fucking, like have a tux, have a tux top and just be like you like, your shorts down any for shit. Like, yeah. I, I'm
1: always. I, I, is it is it uh, Cliff? Is that is that Ron Howard's brother? Yeah. Every year, uh, I've I've seen him a couple of different times on different live feeds and stuff. But he apparently he wears uh, their dad's tuxedo because their dad was a famous character actor. He's since passed away. But he doesn't go to him. He'll apparently. wear – wear the tux around the house and stuff, or at least he claims to. So there's, there's some funny, funny stuff out there for sure. I'm I'm looking forward to some insanity or at least some clips of insanity for sure.
0: Yeah. All right. So the big news is in Hollywood right now. One of the biggest stories right now is of course the uh, investigation into the Ellen show for uh, mistreatment uh, based on the part of Ellen journalists against her staff and uh, guests. Uh, this has actually been blown up over the last few weeks and, uh, a couple of days ago, Ellen actually uh, issued a uh, heartfelt apology to her staff. Not really taking blame, but just kind of apologizing. She's saying, like, I, the conditions were bad. I, I, I didn't even realize they were bad. And you know, I apologize for that, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, there's rumors right now that she wants out of her show completely because of the fact that she feels it's been you know, tarnished. And a lot of people are coming forward, particularly ex-staffers and ex-guests, who are saying, like, yo, uh, they would never do the Ellen show again. Because of how she treated her, how they, how she treated them, et cetera, et cetera, and other people just, you know, giving their stories about, you know, uh, Ellen being less than a uh, less than a nice person, just in just in general. So let me. Uh, think. So yeah. yeah.
1: Awesome because I, I was reading, I was thinking a lot of stuff around that, so maybe I've missed something. But what I've what I've been able to see for sure, um, I haven't seen anyone say specifically that they've got, and again, I, I don't have a dog in this fight, so let's just put that out there to start with, but I had you said specifically Ellen did A, B, or C, anything specific to them. What seemed to be was that there was um, people who were, who were experiencing or having been treated poorly, different stuff like that, and then you get some of those typical things find around, super stardom up, don't make eye contact, don't talk to this person, those kinds of coming from people a level or two below. The only reason i Races. I'm just trying to see at what level, like a good example of something similar, if you remember um, the series Top Gear in the UK, the reason that series eventually blew up and went away was um, Jeremy, who's one of the stars of the show, there was a, uh, apparently a producer who was upset with the way Jeremy, had, I mean, there was like verifiable stuff about a back and forth and a back and forth relationship, and felt like he's being disrespected, which ultimately led to the show being canceled in the UK, an almost carbon copy restate, reinstated at um, Amazon with something even kind of and crazier and so the producer and the people who worked on that show lost their jobs. He went over and started something else and that's a case where you can verify the star, you could argue, have, uh, mistreated staff. Whereas in this one, it seems more like it's staff mistreating staff and in some ways potentially guilt by association because since she's the executive producer and the star, she's supposed to be in charge of, you know, making sure the environment is proper. So I'm just curious what you've seen if maybe I missed some.
0: No, it's uh, basically what you just described is more or less what I've seen too. So, okay. but yeah, a lot of people like I say it's Twitter. So people like, a lot of people get more specific saying, hey, she said like, she's like this, she was mean, she was all this other shit. So, you know, but again, like nothing specific, just general behavior.
1: Because well, I mean, like, Again, we're not, not going to blow anybody up, but you and I have both seen and experienced specific individuals um, that, that hit a certain level. And we can say, yeah, I, I wouldn't put out a huge effort to work with that person because of how poorly they treat other people. But we've yeah. all situations where we're getting secondhand or thirdhand stuff from people who supposedly work for that person where they're treating us bad. And I mean, the reality is in... Entertainment, um, there's a lot of room for people to mistreat each other, and there's a lot of room for things to also be misunderstood or for people to be blamed for stuff that they didn't necessarily. And, I, and my only reason for going into this deep and kind of pointing out the prospects is that, you know, very sober and very honest about what it is we're dealing with because in today's you know kind of hyper. Uh, Twitter and social media where take on a lot of, our own. Um, you know, we, we want to make sure we're fair to everyone because you and I, our goals. where what we're trying at some point, you know, people could try to do the same thing about us. I mean, at least to this point, I don't think any one of us are creating hostile work environments or so we wouldn't be working with each other. So. Exactly. So. Anyway, it's interesting. I, I'm saying in general, unless you can find something specific to her and find something where she's done something, an open mind might be best. And I mean, the other thing too is you got to have pretty thick skin. I mean, let's just go on the comedy side. Cause we've seen this happen stuff before. People are saying that a, a writer's room, like I it was the fans had this thing a little while back. People were claiming it was a hostile work environment because they didn't like uh, what was happening in the writer's rooms and in reality, certain aspects of dealing with a comedian, like writing and things like that. You have to take the risk to, Somebody um, in order to, to find new material, you can gauge whether or not the offenses and different things that are occurring um, were worth it. And some people might not not be positive about that or willing to take that risk, and that's fine. I mean, they should still be able to find somewhere to work. But it's just it's kind of I guess what I'm trying to put out there is it's, it's not necessarily always cookie cutter in an, uh, an extremely creative environment. There's gonna be misunderstandings. There's gonna be stuff, and so you know, open-mindedness, open I think, is more important than just immediately piling on to somebody until you know for sure what you're doing. I mean, if you find Harvey Weinstein, yeah, okay, let's all get rid of that There's no question there. Right.
0: right. All right, so two more things, and then we'll wrap up uh, dropping that news. Uh, the first one is actually kind of a bummer to me because I was a fan of this show. Uh, Hulu has officially canceled the Orville, uh, Seth MacFarlane's The Orville. Uh, apparently, this next coming season, season three, will be the last season of the show. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the Orville, it's basically Seth MacFarlane's take on Star Trek, uh, more or less Star Trek with family guy humor. Uh, and the thing about it was, uh, a lot of people called it, you know, Star Trek ripoff, but it was a really good Star Trek ripoff.
1: What Very
0: good, it? actually. I, I think, I
1: think, better. ripoffs was the wrong word, it was satire.
0: Yeah, satire, basically, yeah. But like I said, some people say ripoff. Uh, yeah, I agree, satire. But they really get—they really got the whole thing of what made Star Trek work, you know what I'm saying? The whole uh, military aspect of it, the camaraderie of it, the uh, human interest between the staffers and the crew, and of course they're interacting with different alien races and how those interactions with alien races uh, somehow relate to some sort of social or civil strife that happens you know, in regular human life, you know what I'm saying, and, like, uh, whether it be racism or sexism or, you know, just, like, differences of opinion, differences, uh, like, differences of, like, the gender, sex, et cetera, et cetera, and they deal with it in a good way, and then, of course, they, you know, they add the, you know, little hits on family guy humor, so, you remember, like, on Star Trek, where they were always, like, referencing, like, classical music and classical uh, things, like, you go to Star Trek Next Generation, you see, uh, uh, data doing like um Christmas Carol and you know things of Shakespeare. Whereas on the Orville they updated a little bit so they're doing stuff from the eighties and the nineties and seventies and shit like that. Oh, and giving you okay. that, giving you that uh dimension of it, which I like. I th- I thought that was really cool. Oh yeah classical,
1: right? Because they're a lot of years in the future. So
0: yeah. And uh, one thing, like I said, uh, I was really bummed because the fact I felt this past season, season two of the Orville, was his best season so far. Cause like it really hit it stride, and some very Star Trek-like stories that are that were really good. And actually had a two-parter that was very similar to uh, Best of Both Worlds on Star Trek: Next Generation with the Borg. They had uh, they have a robot race on there too that takes over or whatever and it's really fucking good so the fact that they canceled it just as it's kind of hitting stride yeah it's really disappointing Uh, but like i said if you ever get a chance to check out the orville guys check it out it's a great show
1: well and here's the thing not knowing their their business and what they've got put in there I'm, i'm hopeful that they might be able to uh salvage it and set it up somewhere else and kind of like they did with, uh, what was it, Southland? when I mean, that I think it was like Fox or somebody canceled, and they end up over at TNT. Um,
0: yeah, I think it was NBC went to the TNT. NBC. And same thing, they actually did it before with the Orville because the Orville was on Fox, and it just moved to Hulu, and now it got
1: canceled. Well, I think part of that might have been through the, the Disney acquisition of Fox because I know there was a lot of shifting that happened there. But anyway, the ma- main reason I'm hoping for it is I, I, it's a good show. It's a great show. Um my sister it's her favorite show so for for angie um I, I hope i hope somebody somewhere can find it and then i actually uh, a guy i used to work with um he left uh, our company and he he joined the crew over there last season um as a grip uh so i'm i'm hopeful for for all those guys that um somebody somewhere will find a way to get back yeah
0: uh, and the last thing i want going to talk about, uh, the XFL lives again, <laughs> uh, and now uh, the, one of the owners of the XFL is a WWE alumnus, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, probably the biggest star, one of the biggest stars that ever come out of that company. Uh, he recently purchased, yeah, he recently purchased the XFL because of the fact they tried to come back this past year. Uh, actually, and funny enough, I, we talked about this before. It was actually good. Like, it was much better than the first one. It was less cartoony. They took it more seriously. And it was good football. So, yeah, I was actually rooting for it this time. And then, of course, coronavirus hit. And, you know, that took out, you know, live attendance, which is kind of the backbone of it. So it was done for a little bit, but The Rock. And uh, apparently he partnered with this company called uh, Red Bird Capital. And also his uh, ex-wife, who was also his manager, uh, Danny Garcia, uh, they all put in together. to buy the league for auction. Apparently, they put it up for auction. They split $15 million between the different parties. And, yeah, now they're, they own the XFL. They bring the XFL back.
1: Well, there's, there's two things I want to throw out on that. So the first one is, uh, you said, one of the biggest WWE stars. I'm going to say, arguably, one of, if not the biggest star in the world will be Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So I think there's a, there's a lot there. And the other thing, too, is when you look at um, – you know words and things associated with different celebrities uh, out of anybody right now approaching his international profile he probably has the most goodwill um, mm-hmm. nothing nothing controversial or questionable about him he's been very very smart very astute about just you know presenting a, a very positive kind of all inclusive you know let's all be the best people we can be kind of attitude which is i think what you need and the second thing is um, if he can maintain it I, I think there's a good a, chance remember when the SFL first came out like that was during the I think it was the day, they, were, they were trying to kind of grab grab a bunch of stuff a lot of um, Association. negotiation I think if they can find a way to to put this out to do a good job with um like you said not making it cartoony but at the same time if they can also avoid um uh, a good chance and rugby guy it bums me out because they're giving football fans another avenue um again if they can avoid just keep everyone away from politics this is this is the place for you to escape from all of the politics in our life all the time they honestly are going to end up stealing a bunch of the uh the fans that i hope will be coming over to the nlr um because i i do think there's a good chunk of people who they really just want to go back to that escapism to have where it's like okay the world's got a lot of problems. There's a lot of stuff we need to fix, a lot of things we need to talk about. But I just want two hours to sit down and watch two teams battle it out and root for my I hope they win. They don't want to – they want to have the ability to kind of switch that part of their brain off. And so, anyway, I, I think um, his timing for buying the XFL and for relaunching it and, and for new direction, um, if they're able to navigate – a lot of those kind of interesting things that are happening stands a huge, huge chance at being majorly successful. So, um, as a rugby fan, I hope they fail, and as a football fan, um, I wish them all the best. And I think, I think this could be really something. So, it'll be interesting to see. All
0: right, folks, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. Um... Yeah. So uh our subject today is a character that I, I am intimately uh a fan of and I've been a fan of most of my life basically. Um and I feel it's really one of the great underrated characters in comics and in pretty much in uh pop culture in general, Swamp Thing. Uh <laughs> just saying it out loud just makes me smile. I don't know why. I just love this character, man. I think it's a great character and uh I said, like, the stuff that they've done with them, some of them have been great, some of them are not so great. Uh, if you go to the Dropping That Culture page on uh, Facebook, I, I, I left a lot of, like, links on, like, different shit that they've done with Swamp Thing, whether it be the uh, movies or the cartoons or the different intros they've done on Swamp Thing for AJ to see. Uh, did you actually see any of those?
1: Yeah, I did a I couple. just was slammed this week, so I wasn't able to sit down and watch the feature films. Just to get let everyone know what we're getting into on this one. This is going to be a little more like the Marvell episode uh, with you, because, to be quite frankly honest, you know, as as geeky and nerdy as I am, um, there's a uh, there's definitely a depth of knowledge that I don't possess that you are a freaking master of. So I'm actually excited to learn a little bit more. I mean, I, I know I know going in that this is one of those few DC properties that uh, Warner Brothers didn't produce. Um, there's all kinds of conversation around the um, European cut versus the American cut. Um, yes. A lot of fun, interesting stuff to get into. So I'm just stoked to, to really sit back today.
0: Yeah. All right. So real quick, uh, I want to go is uh, start out with my first knowledge of the character. And actually, funny enough, it came from a show that we've talked about on here before. USA Up All Night. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, for those of you who don't know, back in the day on USA, they had a show, late night show, uh, hosted by Gilbert Gottfried and then Rhonda Shearer, which is when it really hit its stride, uh, because back she was funny and had really big tits. It was uh,
1: but, yeah. on cable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but what they would do is they would show cheesy horror movies late at night, so it's like, a lot of the trauma stuff, so like, Class of Newcomb House, Toxic Avenger, and you know, like uh, a lot of like shit, like a uh, Chud and quick uh, the tra-
1: return of the Killer Tomatoes. Quick note we need to do a trauma pod or a trauma podcast.
0: We are going to do a trauma podcast because there's so many bad, intentionally bad movies to talk about.
1: Been some big stars got their start there, so we'll, we'll get into it later yes. in this podcast, but that's gonna be a great one. Yes, yes.
0: Uh, but like I said, one of the movies that they were showing USA Open Night was the, the Return of Swamp Thing, uh, the 1989 sequel uh, to the original Swamp Thing, which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about both movies. Uh, but I remember watching it uh, as a kid and I was initially kind of scared because the special effects were really good. But then you saw that the uh, monster was the hero and I was like, okay, this is different. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a hero monster and uh, he's like whooping monster ass and he gets the girl. I, I really did. That. I was like, okay, Swamp Thing. And then I saw the intro, uh, which I'm gonna talk about in length a little bit later. But the intro with different comic book panels, like, oh, so this is a comic book character. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then right after that, uh, just coincidentally, uh, Fox uh, Kids actually uh, came up with a Swamp Thing cartoon. Uh, one of the first uh, Fox Kids cartoons. And also, uh, USA came up with the live-action show, uh, also that ran on Saturdays. So after that, well, all that bombardment, like, I was hooked on the character. I was like, oh, I want to know more about this character. Uh, so I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool. Now, in terms of the creation of the character, uh, it's actually not the first instance of a swamp monster in popular culture, but it did have some inspirations at first. Uh, the first one would be a short story by Theo, Theodore Sturgeon called It. Uh, not to be confused with the Stephen King novel about the fucking killer clown bullshit. I'm, I'm not that one, uh, but the story of it is actually about a. It was actually about a plant monster was stalking a swamp, but then it's actually shown at the very end that the the actual swamp monster was formed around a human skeleton. So it's kind of that first instance of a swamp monster type deal. It was published in an anthology magazine called Unknown in 1940, and it's actually been cited by a lot of people as a big inspiration in terms of stories. I think. Uh, I think it's one of the inspirations for uh, The Thing uh, from Another uh, The Thing from Another World, which eventually became The Thing. It's one of those inspirations. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, that's the first instance of it. Now, in terms of the comic books itself, the first big swamp monster hero called The Heap. H-E-A-P. Heap. Like a heap of shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, but that character was actually created by Mort Lee and uh, Harry Stane for uh, Hillman Periodical's uh, Air Fighters comic uh, in the 40s. Uh, the character was a German uh, fighter pilot named Eric von Himmel, who was shot down during World War One into a Polish swamp. And then his body got mingled up with the vegetation around him. And then he basically was brought to life through sheer force of will and became this giant shambling swamp monster and shit. Um, it was the first instance where they showed the man, the actual origin of a man being thrown into a swamp and reviving as a swamp monster. So, yeah. So it, it was a big influence too. So the heat came first. Now, this is where shit gets kind of tricky. Um, Swamp Thing has a kind of like a mutual brother, almost a rival at Marvel Comics. Uh, the man thing. Hmm. Uh, both of those characters are very similar, both in terms of the origins and in terms of like who created it. Uh, mainly because of the fact that the creator for both of those entities uh, worked on both entities so uh, the actual man thing was actually the man thing of the two came before Swamp Thing and is actually published on Marvel Comics now the whole concept of the character actually came from you guessed it Stan Lee so Stan Lee came up to uh, one of his uh, main writers I don't know Thomas, who we talked about before during the Marvel episode I uh, called him in and gave him a couple sentences of the notion of a guy who's working on some experimental drug. for the government, he's accustomed by spies, and he's abused, he's swarmed and becoming this monster,
1: and uh, yeah. sorry man, you, okay, all right, here
0: we go. Okay, so the concept for Man-Thing uh, initially came from the great Stan Lee, who uh, went to one of his uh, main writers, Roy Thomas, and said, hey, I want to do this character. This guy's working on this experimental drug. Uh, he gets accosted by spies and gets fused with the swamp and becomes this monster. Now, uh, Roy Thomas apparently wasn't crazy about the name Man-Thing because they actually used the Man-Thing for a bunch of different characters before. He uh, just didn't want it to be confusing. Now. Uh, Eventually, he actually, Roy well, Thomas himself only did the plot outline for the man thing, he actually gave the writing duties to a guy named Jerry Conway. Now, this is where the Swamp Thing connection stops in. Jerry Conway and Swamp Thing's actual creator, Lynn Wein, were roommates at the time. They, they lived together. And actually, Lynn Wein wrote the second ever man thing story before he even created Swamp now for those of you not to know lynn ween who uh recently passed away uh was a great comic creator comic writer for many many years did a lot of stuff for batman the animated series Uh, but his main contribution to the comic world came in the 70s when he did the uh, giant size x-men number one that reinvented the x-men franchise and added a lot of the popular mutants that most people associate with the x-men now like colossus storm nightcrawler and he also created the most famous X-Men. Guess who that is? Wolverine, Wolverine. Lin Wien created Wolverine. Uh, but like it's never been openly stated, but, uh, it's very clear that Lin Wien took a lot of elements from Man-Thing and put it in the Swamp-Thing. Uh, at the time, Lin Wien was, like, freelancing for DC Comics, for stories here and there, and he was actually working on the story on the New York subway. And whenever people would, uh, Ask him about it. And this is the one thing he could never get right about the story was the name of the character. So people would ask him about it, hey, what are you working on? He'd be like, Oh, it's just the just the Swamp thing I'm working on. And that's where he got the name, Swamp Thing. So just simple thing like that. And actually, Swamp Thing, yeah, boy. I said that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Works well, yeah. And Swamp Thing itself actually debuted in a standalone story for a horror anthology series that they had for DC. Called House of Secrets, number 92 and 71, July 71. And it's actually supposed to be just a one-off horror story. Like remember, like I told you during the blade the the blade podcast, there was a boom in the horror comics in the 70s. So all these different titles were, you know, coming back, you know, like a lot of like Tuma Dracula and Monster of Frankenstein, House of Secrets, stuff like that. So horror was on the rise in the 70s. And this is just one of those instances. Now, one thing that differentiates uh, Swamp Thing we know from the Swamp Thing initially was uh, the first story was actually a tragic love story. Hmm. Uh, so basically, it was set in like the early 1900s. There was a there was a young scientist in Louisiana named Alex Olson and his wife Linda. They were living in this Victorian house in Louisiana in the swamps with their friend and Alex's assistant named uh, Damien Ridge. Damien, of course, because it's the love story, Damien was secretly in love with Linda and plot the death of Alex. He actually executed it, and dumped Alex's body in the swamp. And of course, through you know, comics, uh, swamp, uh, after a period of years, Alex's body rose again as this you know humanoid pile of swamp matter. And of course, he wanted revenge on the dude that killed him. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the interim, um, apparently Damien married Linda, but Linda starts to suspect that Damien was responsible for Alex's death, so he's gonna kill her too. But then the swamp monster comes in, kills Damien, exacts his revenge. He tries to talk to his wife but he can't because you know all the Swamp shit and he just wanders off alone like right, into the end of Swamp. And that's pretty much the end of that particular story. It's pretty tragic when you look at it too. Um, now, like I said, it was meant to be just a one-off story but this story ended up being the best-selling comic the month it was released. As a result, the editor of DC asked Lynn Wien to come up with a whole new series based around this one character. And they wanted him to change a few things up, particularly making the character look more heroic. Uh, so they added some musculature to him, you know, et cetera, et cetera, get some height to him. And uh, that's the character. Uh, for the redesign, uh, he got an artist named Bernie Wrightson, who also passed away recently. Um, and Bernie Wrightson was known mainly for horror comics. And actually, if you're a big Stephen King fan, he did a couple Stephen King adaptations. Uh, he drew them. Uh, particularly, he did a uh, one for Creepshow, the movie, and he also did one for uh, Cycle of the Werewolf, which eventually became Silver Bullet. The, the Cycle of the Werewolf one is really good because it's very graphic. Yeah. Like, is like you ever get a chance to just look at the graphic novel of Cycle of the Werewolf? It's really good to check out. Alright, yeah, you just so
1: give you a chance. Dive into werewolves.
0: Yeah, we don't we do a deep dive in the werewolves, but like I just just for those of you uh, who are big werewolf fans, check out Cycle of the Werewolf. It's pretty cool. Uh, now, as, as far as the origin of Swamp Thing goes, now the comic book origin is very, very similar to Man-Thing's origin. Like, it's scary how similar it is. But this is the official origin of Swamp Thing. Right? And, uh, the characters, uh, they actually did a couple changes to the character from uh, the initial story to the comic book series. Uh, the character's name was changed from Alex Olsen to Alec Holland, Dr. Alec Holland. The story is now set in modern times. Uh, they added the element of him coming up with this uh, particular formula and also uh, came up with a new character called uh, Matt Cable who was kind of like the uh, who would eventually, be- well he was started out as a bodyguard but he would eventually become kind of like the Jack McGee to the Incredible Hulk type deal, you know, the Sam Gerard to the Fugitive type deal, you know, the the guy that hunts down swamp things. so I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but uh, in a secret facility in the Louisiana swamplands under the protection of Matt Cable, uh, scientist Alec Holland and his wife Linda were inventing what they call a biorestorative formula that was meant to create forests out of deserts, like the whole purpose was to uh, solve, you know, food shortages and essentially end world hunger. Uh, However, uh, a criminal organization called the Conclave. They've got access to Alex's uh, lab by force and knock him unconscious and plant a bomb in the facility. Uh, and then, of course, the bomb goes off. Alex's body is covered in the biorestorative formula and he runs in on fire into the swamps. A little while later, the formula affects the swamp life uh, in the swamp itself. Uh, it starts your Messing with Alex's body, and, of course, Alex rises again as a new plant monster called Swamp Thing. That's basically the origin of Swamp Thing. Now, Man Thing's origin is very similar. Because, the fact, the same thing, scientists, uh, going, instead of uh, Louisiana's, the Florida Everglades, are working on a secret formula, gets accosted by some bad guys, ends up uh, having the formula put into himself or he ingests the formula, and the same thing turns to a swamp monster. Very similar. Uh, but of the two uh, characters, Swamp Thing is really the one that took off. You know, both of them, uh, you know, both of them had a uh, particular uh, runs or whatever. But I think Swamp Thing is the one that really kicked off because of the fact that Swamp Thing had a lot of differences that kind of made him more likable. One was that Swamp Thing can think and talk, Man Thing couldn't, uh, and uh, that really uh kicked the character over and became a, he became like a big favorite for like you know kind of like a cult favorite for like uh comic book fans because of how the dark the stories were and they had these uh supernatural elements to them and like it's really good stuff in his early issues he was like dealing with like dealing with werewolves and he was dealing with like you know frankenstein monsters and all these mutants and shit like that so uh it was good it was good reads man if you ever get a chance to check them out Sure. Uh, they actually the reason, uh, like I said, because of the fact there's so many similarities between Swamp Thing and Man Thing, they actually changed the book in the eighties. And this is where really, this is where it really, uh, where it, really cha- it changed the character forever, and like changed the direction of the book. Uh, during the mid eighties, uh, there was a, a run called the Saga of the Swamp Thing, who was actually done by Alan Moore, you know, Watchmen. Uh, he actually took over the book, yeah, and uh, he changed the character in a story called the Anatomy Lesson. Now, the general conception of the character is that the, the, the Swamp Thing is actually a man that was mutated into a swamp monster. Well, Alan Moore changed all that shit. Uh, so, they basically, what happened was in the story, Swamp Thing gets captured by this uh, group called the Sunderland Group for an investigation. Uh, and he actually has an autopsy done on him by a dude named Dr. Jason Woodrow. And, he's, and while, uh, while they're doing the autopsy, uh, he discovers that Swamp Thing has all the same organs as a human being, except they're completely made of vegetable matter and they don't work. They're basically just there for show. Mm-hmm. And He also discovered that the biorestorative formula itself actually has no effect on human physiology whatsoever. So he devised a, basically a theory that kind of became the template for the character from then on. So basically what happened was, according to Jason Woodrow, uh, Alec Holland died the moment he hit the water. That yeah, he was consumed in the fire, he was consumed in the formula, but Alec Holland himself actually died the moment he hit the water. So what happened was the uh, formula kind of took it upon itself to kind of create a new body, uh, and they used Alec Holland's body as the template. Uh, what they didn't realize is that, you know, it also, in creating this new body, they also got his memories and all this other shit. Uh, for this new whole new entity, which is Swamp Thing. So what we learn is, uh, Swamp Thing is actually not a man turned into a plant. He's a plant that thinks it's a man. So, so it really it, changed. Yeah, it changed up the character.
1: Does it maintain like any memory from, from the man that it that it became? Like I'm just trying to understand because like in the original, the way you're discussing it, you right? How he he came back and was essentially trying to eventually his death and connect with his wife and then he just can't do it at the end. So with this new incarnation, is there, is it just, it's a, it's a essentially a plant life that took on aspects of human form or is there any, like, like with RoboCop, how there's those residual memories hiding in there. That's actually exactly how I was about to describe it. I almost exactly
0: like RoboCop, this artificially created humanoid that happens to have the memories of the host body that was the basis of it. But essentially it's, it's a whole it's not, it's not, Swamp Thing is not human and he never will be human. That basically that, that is, he's just this plant that also has the memories of, Al- of Holland. So
1: okay.
0: it, yeah, it really changed up the character because he knows he'll never be human again. Okay. And yeah. So, uh, also a couple of things that Swamp Thing had that, you know, Man Thing does not have his love interest and an arch enemy. And, uh, also they gave him a lot more supernatural elements, uh, Eventually, during that same run uh, with Alan Moore, uh, they introduced the concept of what they call the green, which is like an elemental force in the DC universe, and it controls all plant life on Earth. And Swamp Thing is basically the, uh, the, the elemental, the avatar of the green. He's like their leader. You know, he has control over all the plants on Earth, and he's, he's essentially a god when
1: it comes to plants, you know. And, um, sort, of really about, uh, sort of like the Aquaman in, in the water, something like that. Basically, yes, but uh, but
0: you know, Swamp Thing with plant life. You know, wherever there's vegetation on earth, you can like you know discard a body and constitute a whole new body from whatever plant life it is, you know what I'm saying? So as long as there's plant life, swamp thing is in control. And uh like I said, the the, the Alan Moore run really revolutionized the character. It became a big fan favorite for a lot of people. And also what it introduced uh because of the fact like I said, uh Swamp Thing was the avatar of the green. They also introduced that there's more than one, there has been more than one Swamp Thing. And there's been different ones. And actually, one of the original ones was the one from the first story, uh, Alex Olson. There's another one named uh, Alec Hollier. And uh, Alec Hellman, who was actually the Swamp Thing before Alec Holland. Uh, and they all eventually, once they've done their duty, they become like these giant, like almost like tree things. Like, and they, they call it the Parliament of Trees. So once they've done, they do, once they've done their duty, they become a tree, pretty much. Hmm. uh but yeah it, it really introduced some real good stuff to that character now as far, as far as the character's supporting cast goes first thing we got to talk about is his arch enemy anton arcane hmm. uh, I, I, I always loved arcane cuz he it just he's such a nasty character like he's pretty much like a a picture mix of like the bram stoker dracula like the gary oldman dracula and dr frankenstein mixed together that's basically Arcane. This old, decrepit man living in a castle.
1: That's super crazy. Oh, no, did I lose you again?
0: Okay, so Arcane was actually introduced in the first issue of Swamp Thing at the very end. He was like a faceless cameo. And then he made his full appearance in the next issue. He started out as like this old scientist, but of course you find out he's a complete bastard who... Uh, Loves these ethical experiments, and of course, his main goal is immortality and world domination. And he becomes obsessed with Swamp Thing because he sees Swamp Thing essentially as like his his uh gateway to godhood. Like if he get Swamp Thing's powers, or he can control Swamp Thing's body himself, he's a god basically. And that became that becomes his goal. And he also, in uh, many times, is often uh, supported by this army of uh, deformed henchmen he calls the Unmen. Uh, basically people he mutated that now his like uh, slaves and shit. And he, uh, he keeps like coming into Swamp Thing's life in different forms. Like he always changes up his body. Uh, I think at one point he was like a Frankenstein monster. Another one he's like a rotten corpse. Another one he's like a spider monster. Uh, he just keeps coming back, man, like any good villain. Uh, now, as far as uh, his love interest goes, his love interest is a chick named Abby Arcane, who was actually uh, his archenemy's niece. And she was actually, she actually debuted, yeah, go ahead. She means Swamp Thing's love interest. Yeah, Swamp Thing's love interest, excuse me, yeah. Swamp Thing's love interest is uh his arch enemy's niece, Abby Arcane. Uh, she debuted in Swamp Thing number three, yeah. And uh, eventually she becomes his spouse and they actually have a kid together. I'm not gonna go into that because the fact is, comics and it's complicated. But yeah, those are the main supporting characters that he has in the Swamp Thing uh, comic books. Also, one supporting character actually he had that kind of has eclipsed him now, John Constantine. Mm. Yeah, the character actually started out as a Swamp Thing supporting character in Saga Swamp Thing 1937, uh 37, excuse me, in 85, uh created by Alan Moore. And of course, his, the look of the character is based on a sting from the police. Uh, and of course, the character has gone on to become Swamp Thing's friend, his character protector, his guide. And uh, like I said, the character caught on. Got his own comic book called Hellblazer, and it's arguably in a lot of in a lot of circles more pop- popular than Swamp Thing in terms of like uh, public perception, mainly because of the fact of the Keanu Reeves movie Constantine, mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, mm-hmm. the series that was yeah, that was briefly on NBC Constantine, and now the character is apparently part of the CW Arrowverse. Uh, so uh, yeah,
1: kudos to Constantine. We
0: keep talking about doing a uh, Constantine, uh, Reeves, yeah, yeah, doing a sequel to Constantine too. Yeah, so the character, yeah, the character is more popular than ever, man. Yeah. Now, uh, as far as that goes, like I said, those are the main supporting characters for Swamp Thing. Let's go ahead and get into the movies before this shit pops out again. Now, the first movie uh, came out in 1982. Swamp Thing, directed by Wes Craven, when, actually directed and
1: written by Wes Craven. Yeah, it was a uh, which is crazy. Well, it was shot in yeah, Carolina, if I remember right. It was one of those those ones that he managed to, even though with a micro budget, they hit it right on the head, two and a half mil.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, actually, the
1: main the main reason
0: he did this because the fact he is, of course, known from initially for the horror genre. You know, his big two movies that before that were you know the Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. So he basically wanted to do this movie to kind of differentiate and show that major studios that he can handle action, he can handle stunts, and he can handle major stars and shit. Uh, like you said, it was uh, budgeted at around $3 million, and it actually executive produced by Benjamin uh, Melnicker and uh, Michael Usling, as we, who we talked about before, are the owners of the Batman franchise. They also own the Swamp Thing franchise.
1: Which makes it even more interesting that they didn't end up doing it as a Warner's property.
0: Exactly, yeah. And, and Thing with Batman, every time you see a Swamp Thing-related property, you see these two names, Benjamin Melnicker and uh, Michael Huster. So, Good on them, man. They own Batman and Swamp Thing.
1: Yes,
0: uh, but yeah, it was actually brought in on budget, which is a point of pride for Wes Craven. And like I said, if you look at Wes Craven's you know, filmography, this movie really sticks out. Because like I said, before that, How- Last House on the Left, Hills Have Eyes, and then right after that, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then, you know, Eventually, you know, movies like Shocker and Scream and shit like that. Like, yeah, Swamp Thing really sticks the fuck out. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's insane.
0: Yeah. So, the actual movie itself, uh, though it's titled Swamp Thing, really the main person in the movie is actually uh, uh, Alice Cable, played by Adrienne Barbeau. Uh, she basically is a government agent who arrives on the new assignment, this top secret uh, bioengineering experiment in the swamps, and the main the main reason she's there is to relocate uh, the doctors there. Dr. Alec Holland and his sister Linda. Like I said in the movie, Alec and Linda are brother and sister, not husband and wife. And uh, Alec Holland is actually played by Ray Weiss, uh, who we talked about previously on a RoboCop episode. He was Nash, uh, one of the bad guys, and he's he plays Alec Holland here. He plays he actually plays Alec Holland very sensible. And I like I like his performance as Holland, like this kind of enthusiastic, kind of temperamental scientist. I like I like uh, Ray Watson's as Alec uh and the whole getdown of why Alec and his sister are there—they're trying to create what he what he calls uh, a hybrid plant-animal cell that has never existed before on Earth. He wants to develop a plant with the an animal's aggressive power for survival, a plant for the 21st century, as he calls it, which again is a, meant to be a source to end world hunger but of course uh, unfortunately the project has been uh spotted and uh is basically under suspicion it's going to be attacked by arcane who in this movie is actually portrayed as kind of like a scientific boogeyman he kind of like finds like different experiments and like j- hijacks and shit like that uh for his own benefit and i like and of course i like arcane here played by louis Jardin, the old the old so great louis Jardin. And I like I like how uh, Arcane here is like this megalomaniac, constantly like referring to himself as a genius and all this other shit. And of course, he's always surrounded by a bevy of beautiful women, and also his uh inept group of uh, like paramilitary forces they always has with him. Uh, but yeah, Arcane gets wind of the experiment. He wants to for himself. He hijacks the experiment, and eventually, he is indirectly responsible for Alec Hall and becoming Swamp Thing. So. Uh, the formula they developed apparently is like highly explosive. So uh, Alec Collin gets knocked down at one point. I think uh, Linda is killed. Uh, Alice's uh, Cable is knocked out. And Alec Collin tries to run away with the formula, but the formula gets knocked out of his way. The shit explodes. The formula gets all over his body. And it actually has the best stunt of the movie because of it. This dude is like lit on fire. He's like running through a lab. And, and next thing you know, he's like running, like he's running through like the little, Experiment or whatever to into the actual swamp itself, and and falls into the water. It's a pretty spectacular stunt if you get a chance to check it out.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that of course eventually becomes the origin of him and Swamp Thing, and then the rest of the movie is basically us uh, Cable uh, trying to uh, report, you know, what happened to the to the Hollands and this whole thing to Washington. But she keeps getting caught up by Arcane and his forces. It's basically Alice running for her life and Swamp Thing just showing up every a couple minutes to like save her. Um, the thing about it is uh, Swamp Thing in this movie was played by uh, Dick Durock, uh, who at this point was just a stunt. Uh, he was a, basically brought in as just a stunt man, uh, but you know, he's a big ass dude, six foot five. And he like kind of specialized in playing thugs in different movies and TV shows. Like, he did a bunch of like Clint Eastwood stuff. i remember seeing him in. Like, he did like, isn't that shit uh, any which way you can? If you watch that movie, like, you know, the first fight of that movie is, is Clint Eastwood and Dick Durock. So, and uh, also, I think he's one of the bad guys in the, in the Dirty Harry movie, The Enforcer. Uh, but, yeah, he did a lot of stunts. And I think he, uh, his most famous thing before this was he did an episode of The Incredible Hulk uh, called The First, which I think is, like, one of the best episodes of that series. Uh, and basically, the whole get-down is uh, prior to the Hulk of the series, the Bill bixby Rick No on one, there was another Hulk In the 1950s, in this town called Viseria, who killed people. Uh, The the creature eventually disappeared, uh, and you couldn't find out. It's like this little creepy little uh, uh, groundskeeper guy was the old Hulk, but he was changed back. Uh, But eventually, he he, he's happy that um, Bill Bixby's uh, David Banner comes, so he can come back, turn back to the Hulk again, which he does. And the Hulk here is played by Dick Durock, but Dick Durock's Hulk skinny. And he has like a fucking like Wolfman pompadour and like, yeah, it, it's weird because he's taller than Lou Ferrigno but obviously Lou Ferrigno's bigger. So it's just, and then it actually leads to like the only super powered fight in the whole series is Hulk versus Hulk at the end. It's pretty, it's pretty cool if you get a chance to check it out.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look that one up. I don't think I've seen that
0: episode. Yeah, it's a two-parter actually too. So yeah, it's it's pretty good, man. Uh, and also, uh, Dick, like I said, Dick was in just as a stunt, man. The whole, the initial idea was to have Ray Weiss in the Swamp Thing like uh makeup for close-ups and have Dick Durot do all the stunt work from like, you know, wide shots and shit like that in action scenes and shit. But they realized that you know they didn't they didn't have too great a budget, as you mentioned. And uh, like Dick could act. So it's like, let Dick be Swamp Thing. So they did. And it worked out well because it became the signature role of his career. Uh, and I, like I said, we mentioned Adrienne Barbeau, of course, you know, at this point, she was Mrs. John Carpenter. Uh, and of course, she's already known for horror movies like The Fog and Escape from New York. And uh, her, her massive boobage helped this movie. That's all, that's all I'm going to say about that. You know how I, you know how I am about boobage.
1: Yeah, well, keep it high, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so uh, Dick Dugger himself actually explained. He said, "Like, uh, he said I had no experience, real experience as an actor, other than playing on the Rockford Profiles and a zillion other shows, but not as an actor per se." And then they picked me to be an actor. Now, the first suit that you see in the movie is not that great. Uh, it's comic accurate to how Swamp Thing looked in the comics at the time, but like, I don't know. You, you just see it's just a dude in a big rubber suit, and it's, yeah, it's very obvious, and it looks. It looked more like cosplay than the actual movie costume. So, yeah. The film
1: can be a little rough. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, he he
0: pulled it off, man, because he did a good job. And uh, like I said, the whole movie is basically him saving Cable and fighting monsters. And of course, you were talking about the European version and the American version. Um, This movie is actually rated PG, but it has a... There's some very uh, specific nude scenes in it. Uh, the main one uh, being, like I mentioned, Adrian Barbeau uh, taking a bath uh, in the swamp topless uh, while Swamp Thing watches on. And of course, uh, it's uh, very detailed and very uh, <laughs> uh, very nice and very kind of seductive.
1: Didn't they cut that out of American version?
0: That's what I was gonna get to. So, uh, yeah, so that's in the European version full on, but in the theatrical version in the America, yeah, they kind of cut that off. You see a little boobage in the American version, uh, but the European version is full on. You see everything. Uh, And in certain cuts of the movie, when they first released it on DVD, the European cut is what they used as opposed to the American cut. And they got some complaints because it's supposed to be a PG movie. Uh, there's also a scene in Arkane's castle uh Arkane's mansion or whatever, where there's actually supposed to be like kind of like a almost like an orgy type deal. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of women around there are topless. Uh, one lady is like a stripper type deal. She's topless. So, yeah, that's also in the European cut but not in the American cut. Uh, so, there's that. Uh, but like I said, the movie uh, was relatively it was it wasn't like a it didn't really like the box office was on fire but its real staying power came when it was released on you know home video and through word of mouth and of course like late night uh movie shows that would show it and shit and then it became kind of popular uh popular enough that the character had actually warranted a sequel uh <laughs> the sequel being the return of Swamp Thing which i mentioned before in 1989 now like I said, at this point in '89, Wes Craven was uh, unavailable. Yeah, so uh, in '84, Nightmare on Elm Street broke out, and he, you know, he was in high demand, and you know that movie series kicked off, and yeah, he was unavailable. So uh, directing duties of this movie went to uh, Jim Wynorski, whose main uh, get down was basically B movies like a uh, Chopping Mall and also shit. Big Bad Mama 2, he did shit like that. Okay, yeah. And it, yeah, and it, and it actually shows. and the, weird, the thing about it is, the only returning crew from the original movie is basically just Dick Durock as Swamp Thing and Louis Jardine as Arcane. Those are the only two returning characters. But they added a bunch of other actors to the mix, uh, like Sarah Douglas from Superman 2. She was a, a doctor in it. Uh, they also so added uh, a couple other characters like uh, some paramilitary characters and scientists and shit. And another thing they added was a new love interest for something. Uh, Abby Arcane makes her debut in film but it's played by Heather Locklear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, how do I put this? Uh, she's horrible. <laughs> oh, She's awful in this movie, bruh. She really is. She's a long way. She's a long way away from uh, Melrose place. I'll put it like that. I mean,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I, what I, say about her. I, I liked her her tenure on Spin City. That's that's where I felt like she she hit her stride.
0: Yeah, I did too. Uh, she's she cool now. Um, but like she basically plays Abby Arkansas ditzy California girl who was obsessed with plants. And, you know, like, just, like, all about, you know, metaphysical type shit. And, like, just, like, you know, like I say, Dipsy Surfer California girl. And they give her a subplot as her being Arcane's stepdaughter as opposed to her uh, his niece in the comic books. And apparently his mother was married to Arcane and she disappeared. And now she wants to find out what happened to her mother. But she pretty much forgets that plot point throughout the whole movie because she spends the whole movie just, like, making, like, really bad one-liners and running away and shit like that. That's basically it. Now, uh, like I said, the first movie, while I said while it was cheap or whatever, it actually um, they actually played it relatively straight. The first movie, the second movie is basically made for laughs and cheap scares. However, I will say that the makeup and uh, the special effects in this uh, of the second movie is superior to the first one, much superior, oh. particularly the Swamp Thing suit that got more detailed. And they added more musculature to it. And they added veins and leaves and shit. And it looks great, especially compared to the first costume. And, of course, Dick Durock, again, like I mentioned, is back a Swamp Thing. And the whole get-down is basically, the whole movie is just Swamp Thing uh, protecting the denizens of the swamp from these, like, evil monsters that Arcane created. Now, at the end of the first movie, Arcane himself ingests the Alec Holland formula and becomes this, like, Warthog-like monster. Now the movie, the first movie ends with a Swamp Thing, Arcane monster fight, and Arcane is actually killed in the first movie. They actually kind of explained that shit away in the second one. Uh, they basically just say that uh, hey, we found Arcane in the swamp, uh, we brought him back to human life, and uh, yeah, that's it. They they basically explain it away in like a sentence or two. It's like a lazy. Very, very lazy. So yeah, Louis Jordan is back again. It was arcane, but they had a subplot here that apparently whatever they did to make him normal again is uh, causing them to age rapidly. So they have to uh, more or less find something that makes him immortal. And apparently Abby's blood is like key to that shit, which is part of why his, her mother disappeared because apparently they have the same genetic structure some something like that. Huh. Uh, so he wants to uh, kidnap Abby to help him become immortal. And also he wants Swamp Thing uh, Swamp Thing's body to help with that too, that kind of thing. But like I said, Swamp Thing and Abby eventually meet up. You know, The whole movie is them trying to be a couple, while at the same time Swamp Thing keeps saving her. Like I said, the, the movie itself is very repetitive. It's basically uh, Abby gets in trouble, Swamp Thing comes. Abby gets in trouble, Swamp Thing comes. Uh, Abby gets in trouble, Swamp Thing comes. And it's basically the whole movie. But one thing I will say about the movie, it has my favorite ass whooping I've ever seen in a movie. Really? Legit. Really. Uh, there's one point where there's, like, this a mutant scientist uh, at the very end. It's, like, the last fight of the movie. The Swamp Thing fights this mutant scientist whose, like, head is, like, mutated. is like, super big. And uh, the, the monster, like, busts out a wall like he's gonna do some shit, like, and, like, uh, he comes at Swamp Thing, but Swamp Thing whoops his ass. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, like, the call of a fight is not even fair because a fight would indicate that two people are fighting. Like, this is basically just giant scientist with a big-ass head getting his ass whooped by Swamp Thing. I mean, he's, and then, like, I would say this in terms of, because, like, b is a long longtime stuntman. He had some of the best working punches in the business, bro. His punches were fucking... Fucking, they were haymakers, but goddamn it, they were crisp, man. I, I love Dick Durock punching. man. If I could punch like Dick Durock, I'd be cool with that. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, he whooped this dude's ass, bro. Like it, wasn't, like, it wasn't even fair.
1: Well, again, it goes back to one of our longtime conversations, which is that there really should be an Academy Award for stunt or something like that because those guys, I mean, the difference between a great stunt performer and something just barely passable is massive. Yes, very much so.
0: And like I said, uh, the movie was released theatrically, but it wasn't a success. And actually, one one reviewer calls the movie a cross between Little Shop of Horrors and the Incredible Hulk with a light spritz of hairspray. <laughs> That's the review. Yeah, so... <laughs> uh, but, like, shortly after that, actually the next year, uh, Universal... Uh, the, US, well, actually, USA Network commissioned a new show for Swamp Thing based off of the movie because the movie was playing a lot. Like, again, like I said, playing a lot on USA Up All Night and the late night shit, so there was an audience for Swamp Thing, so they decided to commission a Swamp Thing show, uh, which is actually going to be uh, uh, one of the, the first project that was filmed on the then-new uh, Universal Studios Florida Backlot. It was the first show that they filmed out there, and it actually became a, Huge tourist attraction for years. Hmm. Uh, I, I remember watching the TV show, and they would have advertisements for Universal Studios Florida and shit. On so, but uh, what happened is um, they created the show. Dick Durock returned again as Swamp Thing. They gave him a new suit again. Uh, it was a modified version of the one that they used for the movie uh, Swamp: The Return of Swamp Thing the year prior, and it looks much better than um, than that the one from that movie, or whatever. And the, the thing about it is they changed his voice, too. So, like, in the movie, he speaks kind of clearly. But in the show, they added, like, a – they electronically altered his voice to kind of add, like, this uh, basso bravando that kind of, like, sounded like he had water in his lungs. It was a weird sound, but it, it was effective. Uh, and actually, du- du- Rock, Dick Durock himself said that this suit was the best-looking suit and the most complicated suit, but also the easiest to get in and out of. And he actually said this is the actual quote. He said, uh, "In the first feature, it took close to four hours. In the second feature, it took close to two hours. By the time we did the series, which ironically was the best makeup and the best suit, we had it down to about forty-five minutes."
1: Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, go, did, go ahead. The better you
0: get at it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they, like I said, like this, they, yeah, I do agree with him. The suit on the TV show. Uh, which ran from 1990 to 1993 uh, was was the best looking of the Swamp Thing suits at that point. I'm gonna get to the another show a little bit later. Uh, then now the work schedule itself apparently was not forgiving at all. Dick Dugger himself he said he worked like 12 hours a day, six days a week for 50 straight episodes, wearing an 80 pound costume, and his schedule like his this is his actual schedule. He said two shows a week, three days each show. 10 pages of dialogue a day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And at the end of the day, they handed you another 30 pages.
1: Jeez. Exactly. Insane.
0: Uh, Exactly. And didn't complain. He was happy. He had the job. He was the lead. And uh, the show itself, and I watched the show. The show had a much darker tone in the movie than it actually played more seriously, too. The first season basically just had Swamp Thing. Uh, dealing with Arcane and, of course, all his mutants and shit. And also, uh, Swamp Thing became uh, acquainted with this uh, family that just moved in, the Kip family, particularly uh, the kid, uh, Jim, Jim Kip. Uh, the mama doesn't know about Swamp um, uh, but the, he pretty much acts as a silent protector for this family. The fucked-up part about it is that season ended so darkly because Arcane had Jim, who's like a 10-year-old kid, he had Jim kidnapped. And sent to a South American smuggling ring, never to be seen again. Damn. Damn. Exactly. I was like, that's dark as fuck." Right now, you know, when I when I re-watched, I was like, "That's, that's fucked up." A- and actually, did, yeah. Did, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say, it's like, like kids and teens.
0: Yeah, I remember that episode. The last thing you see of Jim for a while is like Jim uh, is like in like I think he's like uh, shirtless in like a boat like, going away. I was like, that's fucked up. Just send him away never to be seen again. Uh, and then D-Rock himself talked about sh- the shock of hearing that news. He was like, man, like when they, you say the way they wrote him out was kind of a shock to me and everybody else except, for, I suppose, the writers. I was like, that's a hell of a way to meet your demise. Yeah. But they actually mentioned during the third season that apparently Jim had been found by his mother and then, of course, she, was, uh, he was sent to live with his father. Uh, that was pretty much the Go away for Jim, uh, but the second season uh, he got a new friend who was Jim's older brother uh, will, who we kind of, who basically became like the lead character of the show for the remainder of the series from like from season two on, it went from just like one storyline to basically an anthology series where like all these different people coming into the town that they lived in eventually end up in the swamp and encounter swamp thing they got some kind of problem that's like a sci-fi problem or a supernatural problem and Swamp Thing solves it for. And it's like all all these different stories that just happen to involve Swamp Thing and they also get guidance from Swamp Thing and then the problem solved. Uh, kind of Twilight zone type shit. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, what Swamp Thing would do at the end of each episode, he would like give a lesson of the day as he descends into the swamp, which is <laughs> it was just interesting to see. And uh, they do have one little story out where uh, Swamp Thing tries to turn back into column again, but it kind of, it kind of touch and go, with bitch. Uh, so that's basically the series itself. Now, around the same time, which I also mentioned before, they came up with a Swamp Thing uh, cartoon, which is on Fox, and it's like one of the first like Fox like uh, kids' type TV shows and shit. Now, I remember it because of fact the fact uh, that the theme song they do a Swamp Thing from, a, they do a you know the song Wild Thing, they do a parody of that song, the okay. Wild Thing. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that shit. So they do the Swamp Thing version. Swamp Thing. Dun, 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 dun. You are amazing. Dun, dun,
1: dun, dun. You fight everything, nasty Swamp Thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit!
0: <laughs> I love saying it out loud because it's so stupid. <laughs> But, yeah, it was on Fox Kids, and uh, it was another one of those shows, like, during that time, it was, like, late 80s, early 90s, where they, you know, would adapt, nine, you know, like, uh, 80s R-rated movies into, like, PG children's cartoons. Yeah, it so, it wasn't the first one they'd done. Like, I remember they did with, like, Rambo, The Force of Freedom. Uh, it was uh, uh, the turn the Toxic Avenger into the Toxic Crusaders, which is, like, an environmental show. The same thing with this show. This is an environmental show, too. And uh, what was another one. Oh yeah, RoboCop, that '88 version uh, by Marvel. Uh, same thing, just turning these R-rated movies into kid-friendly fucking
1: TV shows. I think, I think RoboCop's got to be one of the funniest because it—it it literally was. It was NC-17. It wasn't just rated R. It was so beyond violent. It was. That's just insane to me.
0: Yeah, and in the cartoon, like, uh, he didn't fire bullets. He had, he had the gun, but the, fi- the gun fired, like, lasers. That was the consensus for, like, TV violence. Like, uh, instead of guns, it was laser beams.
1: Yeah, not necessarily a good way out, but whatever.
0: Yeah, whatever. But, like, I said, this with this one, again, Swamp Thing, uh, he's, like, you know, uh, saving the swamps from Arcane, who was, like, a mutant on this particular show. He has again. He still has the unmanned, his mutant uh, handlers and shit. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. It's not really that great a show, to be honest with you. I think it lasted all of a season, uh, but it, was, it it was what it was. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yep.
0: Now, yeah. Now the most recent thing of Swamp Thing, uh, the DC Universe series. Uh, that was a uh, you know, That was actually a Warner's property. That was actually produced for Swamp Thing. Uh, and it actually, it was a really good show, lasted only a season, uh, was abruptly canceled, apparently, due to like budgetary issues, mainly because of the fact that the DC Universe uh, whole get down wasn't pulling as much uh, subscribers as they were hoping. Uh, and uh, actually, a lot of uh, the uh, DC Universe shows have been moved um, from DC Universe to uh, HBO Max. Like, I know they moved Harley Quinn. And they just moved uh, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol's second season was is uh, currently on HBO Max. Uh, and apparently it's doing good. Well, that's, uh, is it's, that, a, it's, a, it's a weird show if you get a chance to check it out.
1: It's the Warner streaming service. So it makes sense it eventually migrate everything into
0: that. Yeah. So uh, I, think, I think Titans, which is another show they had, is, a, is either heading over there or going to head over there. And Swamp Thing itself, uh, like I said, it was canceled, but it has been saved by the CW. So Swamp Thing is headed to the CW. The show itself, they haven't specified if it's going to be they're going to revive it, but they are doing season one on the CW. Uh, They haven't specified they're going to use. I think it's going to be the same thing that they did for Constantine, because I remember, like I mentioned during the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, they featured Swamp Thing. They showed the DC Universe version of Swamp Thing, Uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm thinking because of the fact they had the storyline now, they're probably going to bring that show over just like they did Constantine because Constantine is part of the Arrowverse too. I'm pretty sure they'll make Swamp Thing part of the Arrowverse. And it's actually a really good show. It was actually done by, what's the name, uh, James Wayne? James Wan, uh, the horror director. I think he did like Insidious and shit like that. Yeah, he, uh, he, was, he was the dude that was the, the showrunner and he was like the main director on the show and uh, he also did aquaman so
1: yeah i mean that's, yeah. That's, that's pretty heavy hitting
0: exactly and if you watch the show it's like very deep horror based it's basically a horror show uh that just happens to have a superhero in it uh but like one thing that really perturbed me about the show was uh if you ever get a chance to watch it uh they i didn't like how they did the origin story um in most incarnations of swamp thing the character is like lit on fire and like this is like it's like this big spectacular thing and he jumps into the swamp and then becomes a monster whereas in this one he basically just falls in and the swamp consumes him i, I, I didn't like that well it's probably
1: um, pressure yeah. to minimize violence
0: yeah but still like, I, I i always thought that swamp thing has one of the best origins out there like I, I just i think it just should have been pure this is me uh but it was a really good show they had uh uh Crystal Reed played Abby Arcane. They played her Abby as like this, doc, this CDC doctor who comes back to her hometown, which is this place in Louisiana called Moray, which is like haunted. And of course, you know, the swamp has all kinds of legends and hauntings and all this other shit. And uh also has uh what's her name? Virginia Madsen's in the show. Uh she plays the wife of like the show's main villain. Uh Je- Jennifer Beals is in the show. She's like the sheriff. Um yeah, yeah. Uh also they also brought back Adrian Barbot. She was like a, a CDC official uh for like a couple episodes. So yeah, they brought back Adrian Barbot. So he kinda of brought it back full circle. And also the real star of the show. Oh yeah, they also had uh, another guy named uh Andy Bean, I believe the guy's name is he played out of calling. He was he was pretty good as out of calling. But the main star is uh Derek Mears at Swamp Thing. Uh I don't know if you're familiar with Derek Mears, but he he played he played uh, Jason when they did that reboot of Friday the 13th. He was the guy in the suit. Yeah. And uh, if you look at Derek Mears, especially on his Instagram, he's one of those dudes where he's like, big, bald, has a certain look about him. Um, uh, he's, like, perfect for, like, makeup roles, like, for monsters and shit like that. Kind of like, you know, how, like, Doug Jones does a lot of, like, makeup shit, and, like, Ron, Ron Perlman used to do a lot of makeup shit. Like, it's like that. Okay. Yeah, so he did a really good job of Swamp Thing, and I think the costume on the show, this particular show, the DC Universe show, is the best Swamp Thing costume I've ever seen. They really did a great job, and actually, I think the uh, FX firm that did it, uh, Fractured FX, I think they are nominated for an Emmy for it. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, so they did a really good job on the show. Like, let's say, very detailed stuff, really good. They also very comic accurate. They actually did uh, like I mentioned before, the anatomy lesson uh, that Alan Moore did—they actually did it on the show. And I was like, "Damn, they're gonna, they gonna go this route." I'm like, "Oh,
1: that's, ugh.
0: but yeah, they did it. They did it great, too." All right. Yeah, man. Was- yeah, man. Really get a chance, like, check it out. Like I said, it's gonna be on the CW. I think pretty soon. Um, but in the meantime, between time, if you can like get to it somehow, streaming, yeah, it's a great show to check out. Swamp. So And that is the most recent thing in terms of Swamp Thing. But also, Swamp Thing has been featured in a lot of video games. I think he had his own Nintendo game at one point. I know he had a Sega game. And most recently, he's been in a part of the Injustice uh, video games or whatever. And he's been, like, a really popular character there. I think they did, like, a, a reaction. A bunch of people did a reaction to his reveal on the game. It was very popular. So Swamp Thing is kind of making a resurgence right now, man i like I said, I've always had a deep love for the character, which is why I brought him up as a subject for this particular
1: podcast, man. Yeah, man. Dude, I'm, I've been this, man. This is this is getting me excited. I'm gonna have to sit down and uh, get caught up on all this uh, Swamp Thing stuff, man.
0: Yeah, man. Like I said, and then the uh, the whole get down with him and like man thing has always been a big uh, comparison between the two over the years. And like I said, they're very similar in a lot of ways. Uh, and I mentioned a lot of the different. But there's some there's some similarities between the two that really can't be ignored. I'm going to go over that real quick. Yeah, i here. I actually did an article on Swamp Thing and Man Thing They shared history for uh, godhatesgeeks.com. So if you ever get a chance, go to godhatesgeeks.com. Look look for the uh, Belsaverse section. And you can see my whole series of articles on Swamp Thing and Man Thing. You guys will love it, okay? Uh, Now, in terms of similarities, uh, both of the characters actually debuted at the same time in 1971. Both of them got their own solo series the next year in 1972. Both characters were scientists who who traveled to swamp locales with their wives to work on secret government experiments. Uh, Both of them are confronted by an evil organization that wants the formula for nefarious purposes, both refuse and pay the consequences. Uh, both end up mutating into large swamp monsters after ingesting their formula and being submerged in the swamp. Uh, both uh, have different instances in the comics where they temporarily are trans back, transformed back into humans. Uh, both end up being mystical guardians of their respective areas. Uh, swamp Thing, like I said, was the avatar of the green. Man Thing in Marvel became the uh, guardian of a place called the Nexus of All Realities. So it's like a like an interdimensional portal that just happens to be in the swamp that kind of shit. Uh, both characters have very similar powers in terms of super strength and they, the fact they're both made of vegetable matter and, you know, they can, like, ooze their bodies and, and constitute bodies and shit like that. And, uh, yeah, like, those are the, really the main um, comparisons between the two, man. Like, but, and that, but, like I said, the main one, Swamp Thing can convey emotions. Swamp Thing can talk. Man Thing is just a mindless brute. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, that that's really what kind of separates both characters and why swamp thing is just a little bit more appealing than man thing you know what I'm saying um but like I said I got love for both characters really
1: well I guess the the question you kind of brushed up against is like when we did the marvel thing um what uh what is the what is the uh the, the contention about the characters because with that level of similarity and as um contentious as these guys can be as far as litigating and everything, is that yeah. Okay. No, I was actually I'm happy you brought that up. Cause it actually at one point
0: was a uh threat of a litigate uh, lit- of litigation or whatever, particularly when both characters started coming up and becoming popular at the same time. Um but that was actually Ixnade by uh the executives at Marvel, cause they both they took, they took both creators, like I think it was like Gary Conway for Man Thing and Lynn Wing for Swamp Thing, and he looked at both of them it was basically like, hey. Both of you guys are ripping off the heap. So <laughs> do you really want to go with this? And they both realized, yeah, we're ripping off the heap. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that the litigation stopped.
1: We we'll hope and pray that, uh, that the guys who had the copyright on the heap didn't show up.
0: Exactly, which they didn't. So like, like, so like, when they realized, yeah, yeah, like we're suing over some shit that we ripped off too. So like, okay, okay. not gonna win. <laughs> So that was that. Uh, but like, since then, there has been no threats of litigation. It's just basically just been the fans picking which one they like the most. Man Thing himself has actually gotten some uh, shine too in different like movies and TV shows. Uh, but Man Thing's main, like, main thing, like I said, uh, Man Thing's Get Down is basically it was an anthology series too. Different people would come in from the nexus of all realities, They encounter, they encounter Man Thing and they would have adventures the one most famous one that came out of there, and you love this, Howard the Duck. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. <laughs> Howard the Duck debuted as a supporting character for Man Thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the character, again, like I said, like, it just, like just, just like Constantine, the character became so popular that he got his own shit. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, nope, that's pretty
0: insane, man. Yeah, and uh, apparently uh, <laughs> so the character itself was actually created, I think, by Steve Englehart, I think the guy's name is. No, Steve Gerber, excuse me. And apparently, the uh, he eventually got his own solo series in 1976, and apparently one big fan of this comic book series was George Lucas. Shit, I not that. Yeah, which uh, led to the infamous... 1986 movie Howard the Duck. I guess
1: that makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) that's a wild. But yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) So George Lucas was a fan of of Howard the Duck, and Howard the Duck became a huge hit. Oh well, it became a huge flop. Excuse me, Uh, it was a it was a critical and commercial bomb, and considered one of the worst movies ever (laughs) made.
1: But in its in its uh, later stages i think it's fair and important to point out that what it really became was uh something like classic because it's one of those ones that's so bad it, it's good
0: exactly yeah and it's like i said because of that it's so bad it's good it's kind of become like a cult classic like a lot of them do uh, but one thing i will say about how in the duck despite its failure it's still important in terms of marvel film history Cause it's the very first ever theatrically released feature film based on a Marvel Comics character, Howard the Duck. <laughs> the very first one, dude. And then you know what two was Blade.
1: Yeah. Well, and thankfully, hopefully Howard the Duck didn't poison the well, because that could have very easily happened. It very easily happened. In fact,
0: oh, well, it kind of did, cause like they did release a couple movies. Marvel after that, but they were either directed DVD or TV movies. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I remember mean,
0: because, like, because after, after Howard the Duck, they had the Punisher movie that I told you about with Dolph Lundgren. Uh, there was also a, a Captain America movie in 1990 with a dude named uh, Matt Salinger, who I believe was uh, one. Of the, he was one of the three main uh, alphas in um in Revenge of the Nerds. It was it was Ted McGinley, the dude that played Ogre, and then there's another guy. The other guy is Captain America in the movie.
1: You know, it's actually it's kind of um, what's the word? Uh, uh, Serendipitous that it worked out the way it did. Because honestly, if they tried to do X Men in the '80s with where special effects were, like it would have sucked. So it kind of worked out that it slowed the roll, and they didn't they didn't actually start trying to tackle those until computer generated stuff was able to catch up to a point where they were able to. Have special effects would allow you to properly bridge the gap um, in the uh, suspension of disbelief.
0: Yeah, and then they had the uh, three uh, Incredible Hulk TV movies: uh, uh, an Incredible Hulk, the Incredible Hulk Returns, Trial of the Incredible Hulk, and Death of the Incredible Hulk. All on NBC, like in like, and they all came out one year's like uh, 88, 89, and 90. Um, and then I remember the TV movies that they did. Oh, Oh, yeah, Fox did two um, TV movies based on Marvel things. They did one, which is uh, Generation X, which is supposed to be, like, the pilot for a TV show, which was, which was X-Men-based. It didn't mention the X-Men specifically, uh, but it had, like, a couple characters in there from the X-Men, particularly the Banshee who's the X-Men, who's, like, uh, it's basically, like, the Banshee and his other character, the White Queen, Emma Frost, who ran this school for these, like, kids or whatever. like kind Like, kind of like the X-Men school. But like, this next generation version or whatever, and, like I said, it, it was whatever. Uh, they also did a uh, Nick Fury Agent of the S.H.I.E.L.D. movie with uh, David Hasselhoff
1: as Nick Fury. You know, it actually, it, it actually kind of works out, um, and it's been a thing that I've, I've found. I was actually reading a book called War recently. Um, yeah. That idea of doing uh, an M.O.W. that can serve as a pilot or a standalone, apparently it's been um, kind of a tried-and-true, like, uh, uh, I guess you'd call it like a like a failsafe or a stop game. Um, because it gives the gives the networks an out if if the thing doesn't have legs to be able to break out and if it does then you know they've already built the, the world around it. and specifically the one in the, the um, book I was reading was about loss um, so apparently mm-hmm. when they first approved that to get that made um, set it up so in just a few episode they, they set up break it in half make it a two-episode pilot or if they decided it wasn't going to work if they out front well they could just turn into an FW and, and cut their losses and, and run it so so it's, I mean it's kind of one of those weird tried and true ways they do business
0: yeah and also since we mentioned Howard the Duck Howard the Duck has kind of had a resurgence uh, particularly because of the MCU uh for those of you who are aware of it uh Howard the Duck returned to film as a cameo in the post-credits scene of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014, and he was voiced by Seth Green. (laughs) Uh, The the character returned again uh, in uh, 2017's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and you can see see him very briefly in uh, Avengers Endgame. So yeah, Howard the Dove is kind of making a little bit of a
1: resurgence. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of a response they get
0: yeah <laughs>
1: uh but yeah people
0: are digging uh people are people are somewhat digging how would the done now as far as man thing goes uh this would be the last part of the podcast uh man thing they tried to do a man thing movie on sci-fi channel in the early 2000s this is around the time they started coming out with you know like like the angley hulk and the daredevil and uh Fortunately, uh, well, unfortunately, Man-Thing was actually released as a direct-to-TV movie and a direct-to-DVD movie on the Sci-Fi channel. Uh, and they basically changed up the entire character and it just really fucked everything up. Um, from the gist of the movie, it basically uh, they went, instead of going scientific, they went like supernatural, uh, saying that the Man-Thing is actually a uh, Native American spirit kind of thing spirit of vengeance type deal uh and it basically turned into a full-on horror movie with the man thing as the villain uh which i did not like uh the the monster in the movie it's okay but like it uh yeah it just, the movie itself is just like they just went in the wrong direction with it it just didn't work um and uh like i say it, it, it just what it was the only person that i remember i think it was like mainly an Australian, it was basically Australian actors posing as Americans. I think the only one actor of the movie that kind of made it out and kind of did their own thing is an actress, um, Rachel, Turn, Rachel Taylor. Uh, she actually played Trish Walker on the Netflix uh, Jessica Jones series. So she kind of made it out, but everybody else is whatever. Uh, Now, since that 2005, the movie actually came out in 2005. Since that 2005 movie, Man-Thing hasn't really been the lead character in any of the projects. He's basically just had, like, a few appearances in different, like, Marvel TV shows, like, uh, mainly the cartoons, like Superhero Squad, Ultimate Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy. And they usually have that character as a member of this all-monster version of the Howling Commandos, which, like, basically they take the characters, the the horror characters from the 70s, and they made them to look almost like a strike team now. Uh, so it's like Werewolf by Night, Monster of Frankenstein, and Man Thing, and they're all together working for Shield, which is pretty cool. Uh they also have given some little nods to Man Thing in the MCU, uh, particularly on the first season of Agents of Shield on uh ABC. They actually mentioned Man Thing by name as a apparently they had Man Thing prisoner, and there was like this big, like uh big breakout and Man Thing escape. <laughs> Uh, and also, uh, there's a couple references in terms of the movies. Like in Iron Man 3, there's a character named Ellen Brandt, who's like a female, uh, like soldier. She's like one of the, like, they, if you know the storyline in the movie, there's like a female soldier with the extremists in her system or whatever. Um, she actually is Ellen Brandt. Uh, they, they actually give that character a scar on her face. Uh, that's actually a reference to Man-Thing. In the original comics, Ellen Brandt was, a uh, Man-Thing's wife. Ooh. And she betrayed him. And uh, one of Man-Thing's powers is that he can, like, burn whoever is, like, scared of him. And they give him a saying, whosoever knows fear burns at the Man-Thing's touch. And he actually burned her, he burned her face. And they actually give the character a scar in the movie to kind of, like, illustrate that. Uh, in Thor The Dark World, the nexus of all realities is mentioned, and in Thor Ragnarok, you actually see the Man-Thing as, like, one of the champions of the Grand Masters Contest of Champions, man. Uh, so there is a little bit of a push for Man thing, too, man. So we'll see. Like, uh, I'll just, I'm wondering how they'll do that, too.
1: Would you actually would you do a Man thing or do you want them to just – because I know I saw 2010, I think. Was it Joel Silver doing a reboot for the Swamp thing?
0: Yeah, oh, well, I think they abandoned that. That's, that they, uh, they tried for years to do that. The they, Joel
1: they film, but yeah. writer. I can't remember who the writer was, but the writer couldn't do it, and so then they just kind of walked away. Um, mm-hmm. I guess my question is, since we're talking about both of them, do you have a preference if they were going to do one for one or the other? Or would you rather go and see, you know, Swamp Thing or Man Thing?
0: If I had a choice, uh, I would go with Swamp Thing because of the fact that Swamp Thing, again, is, I just think is the more interesting character. I like Man-Thing for, like, the certain things about it. I think it's a cool character too, but I really like Swamp Thing because of the fact that he can convey his emotions, he can, like, you know what I'm saying, like, uh, he can actually speak, you know, it's just more, more relatable more communicable. I, I, I like Swamp Thing just a little bit more, and, like, put and of the two, I discover Swamp Thing first, so I'm a little partial to Swamp Thing. Um, uh, but like I said, I love I love both. And like I said, the reason I got into Man Thing because of the fact that I learned about the connection to Swamp Thing, I was like, okay, this is, this is just like the whole Shazam, Captain Marvel thing. Freaking like, I like I like I like these complicated stories. You know what I'm saying? It makes it, it a lot more interesting than just the cookie cutter. And like, here's Spider Man, here's Superman, here's Batman, etc., cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I, I just find them more interesting. No, that
1: makes sense. I get it.
0: And uh, cool. So that is basically all I got for uh, Swamp Thing and Man Thing. I really hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, podcast. Like I said, I I did a lot of research when I did the articles for us. Like you know what I'm saying? That's, I don't want to just waste all this research. let might do a podcast shit. So uh, I'm really hoping uh, we educated you guys on a new subject here for a new character that you guys might enjoy. And I'm um, also like to educate AJ because uh, AJ, like I said, he I know, know I. <laughs> So
1: again, I know I learned a lot so I mean this was this was great for me. I hope I hope our uh, our fans enjoyed it. I hope our listeners are uh, are, are getting uh, a little bit deeper into their uh, the geekiness uh, along with me here and I'm sure before too long, you know, maybe we'll get lucky, and we'll find one subject I can uh, return the favor on, but uh, I feel like based on most of our conversation chances are pretty good that either both be able to educate people or you're going to educate me cuz I I've yet to find a topic that um, I know more
0: about. We will keep searching, we will keep searching until we find that, t- that subject for you, man. Uh, but like I said, we hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast for this week. Uh, we're going to uh, go ahead and get off here and we're going to discuss our show for next week, but we really hope you've enjoyed it. So this has been Dropping That Culture for J.D. and A.J. I'm J.D. I'm A.J. Catch you guys next time. Peace.
1: Later.
0: Dropping That Culture.
1: Driving
0: that cost. Driving that Driving that Driving that Driving Driving
1: that Driving that